Hello and welcome to the Ordinary Church Podcast. This is a podcast about the church and for the church. I'm Connor, I'm here with Mike, and uh, thanks for listening today. I'm going to jump right into our topic for today, which is how should Christians engage the culture where it attacks the church, engaging the culture where it attacks the church. So Mike, I'm just going to tee you up on this one with a series of questions and uh, let you even kind of walk us through this one. But let me pass it to you. Um, would you actually would you actually set the direction for where we're going to go today? Yes, thank you. So this was, was really uh, teed up by a couple people mentioning some things to me recently. So I feel like this is something that can be really helpful for the church right now. And it's something that we've been grappling with for a long time. It's really this idea of how do you take the high road in the culture wars when they land at your doorstep? Um, and I don't mean when it's on your you know, Twitter feed or something like that and you argue with people you've never met. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about interacting with people that you know and care about. It could be a neighbor. It could be a family member. It could be a, a friend. So how can we take the high road with answering the culture where it attacks biblical truth? And let me give you two examples that came to me just this week. One is of a, of a family that lives um, very close to two young adults in, in a family that are transitioning from their sex to, an, to the opposite mm. sex. And they've known these, these young adults for a long time since they were young kids, and they've watched the progression they have a good rapport with this family, but now they're finding there's this uh, resistance to anything deeper than, you know, how how things going and what's what's on the news or something like that, like like cu- current events. That there there's no opening now to speak into their life. That's kind of been closed off, even though they are friendly with with them. And so you could find this with your friends, your neighbors, relatives. And so there's that situation where they're feeling like, how can we have a redemptive influence in their life, mm-hmm. um, continue the relationship, while then, but while answering the attacks to biblical truth? Mm-hmm. Okay, and they're dealing with unbelievers. The other was a um, uh, some friends of mine who have an acquaintance that used to be, by all for all intents and purposes, biblically solid believer now seems to be a, a, a professing believer that has adopted some really unbiblical viewpoints mm-hmm. and really over the last three years. Mm-hmm. And they have a sibling who has become the opposite sex and they are celebrating that sibling online by using their, their new names and all of that. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very blatant. And mm-hmm. so, and they have a lot of Christian friends and this person says they're a Christian, but they are really like celebrating the uh, an unbiblical lifestyle, mm-hmm. okay? And again, we don't know all the reasons why that happens, but the question comes then, how do I take the high road in these culture wars that come to my doorstep and I don't want to be, you know, in a fight with my friends and family and, and neighbors. I want to continue to be friends with them and continue to have a, a really a, a gospel-focused, redemptive impact into their life as much as I can. Yeah, that's helpful. I, um, one of the questions that come into mind for me is, you know, the, the, you mentioned the term culture wars that gets mm-hmm. thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, you know, could you maybe define that for anybody who's, who's not even familiar with it or wouldn't know exactly what we're talking about when we talk about the culture wars? Right. Okay. So a lot of times we'll use terms. Like I just use this term. I was uh, talking to a friend earlier today about addictions 
And we realize that when we use that term, sometimes people think that means that's their full identity for the rest of their life because of some movements, you know, where they kind of identify someone and then you have to keep identifying that way. Where we, a Christian would say like an addiction, I'm just kind of using this example, then come back to your question, is that an addiction would be something you're caught in, your foot is caught, you're, you're, you've given the devil a foothold even or as a Christian and you need to be set free and that this is not your identity, it's something that has kind of been, it's, it's hurting your life and it's kind of harassing your soul. It's a wages war against your soul. Mm-hmm. Culture wars, I think, is one of those maybe catch-alls, and I maybe, maybe I didn't even use it in the best way, but what I mean when I say culture wars, I'll just tell you what I mean, is just where a Christian living in the world sees that there's a lot of unbiblical things being pushed upon the church, and there, there, there's a, a clash of worldviews, or there's a clash where people are going to go one way or another. Mm-hmm. And so I guess when I say culture wars, it's not like people are, are fighting some big battle. Uh, there's probably a better way for me to put it. Uh, maybe it's just where the world uh, and, and biblical truth collide. Does that, yeah, does that no, make that sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess my question was going to be this. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you delineate between someone pursuing redemptive involvement in the culture for mm-hmm. the gospel with somebody who's involved in certain cultural slash political, um, you know, arguments or, or kind of points of dispute that's not necessarily as connected with Christ and the gospel, but falls maybe more along political lines. Um, I don't know. I just I feel like it's hard to have a conversation like this without thinking about how quickly people can trend towards political involvement. So what's the difference mm-hmm. between a Christian being involved in a political capacity compared to saying, I want to you know, faithfully serve the Lord and have a redemptive impact mm-hmm. in the society? Um, That's a good yeah. question. Very good question. I'm going to, uh, you know, this might be hyper simplistic and maybe overly simplistic, but I would say this, if you're calling in life and maybe if you're getting paid to do that or, or you're, you're, you're at aspiring to be that and you're kind of waiting in that, uh, in that arena, that's one thing. I'm talking about just the, 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 the average ordinary Christian who has, everything they're doing in life and they're navigating life in the world. And the idea is this, you can isolate from the world and that isn't helpful. Okay. You can assimilate into the world and that isn't helpful. So when isolation is, I'm just going to stay away from that and act like it doesn't exist. That doesn't help anybody. Uh, Assimilate. Like I'm just going to kind of dive in and kind of fully immerse myself. Well, then you're not going to look any different than the world. I would uh, submit that we want to interact Okay, so we don't want to isolate from the world. We don't want to assimilate into the world. We want to redemptively interact in the world. A Christian's calling is to go and make disciples and, uh, right, of Christ. And so the idea is that no matter what you do, uh, wherever, what, you're going to be running into people that are diametrically opposed to biblical truth. And, and that's just part of the part of life. Yeah. But what's happened more often now is that it feels like a big battle, because it doesn't just dovetail like a two streams converging. We're talking about uh, a head-on collision, hmm. okay? Where a head-on collision where both cannot be true at the same time. And I think in the past, there's been times where the lines have gotten blurred to such an extent that it feels like two streams flowing into one, even though it wasn't. Hmm. Now, in the climate in which we live, I truly believe it's more of a, a head-on collision or coming from two different, you know, someone's coming from the east and someone's coming from the south and they come into a intersection and, and collide. 
that there's an intersection there that is not uh, going to equate into, oh, let's all just get along and uh, we're, we all kind of think the same thing. We're talking like, we, we said this for a long time years ago, there will be a time when the lines will be drawn so clearly. And I think that time has come in the past few years where the lines have drawn very clearly uh, what, what does the Bible say and what is our culture saying? Mm-hmm. And while it's always been present, I mean, from the garden onward, we are in, we're always living in a unique time because it's the time we're living. <laughs> yeah. And so we're, we're having to address that. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I feel like there's just so many layers to this and different directions that we could go. Um, let's just maybe try to trend practical if we can. Um, what does it look like? You know, could, I don't know if you could offer practical examples, maybe return to the idea of the, the neighbor, you know, who, or who had uh, two kids who are transitioning, but mm-hmm. what does it look like to positively interact with that? Cause in a, in a very real sense, their need is the gospel, you know, more mm-hmm. than the, much more than their need is to be convinced that their ideology is at odds with the Bible. So, you know, I think right, when we think right. about engagement, we're obviously thinking, especially with unbelievers, that we're ha- we're wanting to have a gospel engagement mm-hmm. to try to have deep relationships that could lead to real conversations about life. But Absolutely, you want to speak to that? Absolutely. So, I um, let me take you back thirty years. I I knew of a couple that was living together, and they they both came to Christ, came to faith in Christ. And the church that they were a part of that led them to Christ did not have to say a word to them about their lifestyle, about cohabiting before marriage. They weren't married. They were living together before marriage. And they got saved, and they both said, wow, we need to get married. And they had one of the pastors marry them. The interesting thing, there was a, there was like a, like a commercial that would play during sporting events um, years and years ago. And it was, uh, it was for a beverage, and it was a commercial for a beverage. And it was it was um, it was kind of a, it was humorous, but it was like someone would walk up with this spike coming out of their eye or whatever, and and they're like, oh, you need one of these, and this beverage is going to help you. And the thing is, what what that's really not true. What's true is that oftentimes, right now, the sin that someone has gotten caught in is a huge impediment to the gospel. And that's not just oh, I want to reach them for Christ, and we're just not going to think about their lifestyle, right. because now. And, and this is I, this was true in the first century, too, but that people were, are pushing their lifestyle such that it's saying either they either say, I can be a Christian and do this. So you have to answer that. Mm-hmm. Or there's no way I would ever want to be a Christian because I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And they know that it doesn't fit. Yeah. Right. So so I think there, there it, it, there's not a scenario where we can pretend that they don't have the big spike coming out of their eye or, or there's not like a, a log, you know, impaling them okay so i think that that there's got to be a way to preach the gospel live the gospel while addressing without hammering but while addressing and what i want to do is this as i think i can i think i can do this by by addressing it this way how do you personally think and act i think if i give um some some helps that way i think it can help us wrap our minds around what we're talking about with people you know and love and care about yeah Okay, these are friends, these are family, these are neighbors, yeah. co-workers, classmates, all that. Yeah, Okay, that sounds great. And what we'll do, we'll work through these. There's five of them. We'll work through them, and then I want to hear what you have to say about each one of those. Okay. Okay. So the first thing is this. As, you, as, a, as a Christian, number one, uh, confess your own sins. Okay? You don't need to go tell everyone or even mention. I think what happens in a lot of times in friend groups and families is they talk behind the back of the people that are engaging in that in derogatory ways and almost like confessing their sins. Well, it's pretty obvious. Why even go there? Okay. Confess your own sins. Well, first John one nine, 
If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, will forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we really care about them coming to faith in Christ, we will not camp out on like confessing their sins behind their backs. Mm. Does that make sense? Right, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. I think my only response would be, you know, uh, in the name of winning the culture, uh, some Christian institutions, organizations, or even people have allowed, you know, their own life to remain compromised, mm-hmm. um, but not deal with it because of the supposed harm that would do for their witness or their platform or their, and that, I think that can reduce to the personal level as well. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm trying to have this engagement in my family member's life or friend or whoever it is, but I'm compromised inside, mm-hmm. then no matter how much I'm trying to, you know, keep appearances up for the sake of what I'm doing for Christ, right. it's always going to be a losing game. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a good place to start. And, and one other thing I want to say is we're not trying to, and I don't think you were saying that, I don't know if you were saying this or not, but we're not trying to win the culture. We're not trying to, like, capture everything for Christ, okay? Christ does his own saving, okay? And the idea is we're not trying to bring the kingdom in. We're not trying to, um, you know, uh, make a Christian uh, society. Mm-hmm. We want people to become believers in right. Jesus. Right. And that obviously has a transforming effect and salt and light and all that. And, mm-hmm. but you know, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived to the, to the time Jesus comes back. Mm-hmm. And so that's, we know that we're under no illusions. Right. But we want uh, to rescue the perishing is right. what we want to do. Right. So confess your own sins. Secondly, condone is the next word. Condone no sin. And this is where it gets tricky. Romans one thirty two says this. It says, even though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, this would be someone who knows the word of God and knows the consequences of outright rebellion against God. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. We don't want to be in the, in the, in the uh, category where we have compromised our own convictions and even repudiated Christ because we have condoned sin that he rightly condemns. So confess your own sins and then condone no sin. Right. Don't condone sin. I, I've my way of getting around that is that I don't use the pronouns for people. I don't um, use their new name and what have you because it's very easy in public to go, hello, how are you doing? You don't need to use names and pronouns. I, I definitely don't, you know, on purpose use the ones they don't want me to use. Mm-hmm. I don't do that because right. I don't think that would be loving to them. On the other hand, I also don't think it would be loving to go along with a lie, right? Right. right. So, yeah. yeah. I think my only response to that would just be to, you know, it's maybe just helpful to acknowledge that a lot of the um, issues that believers face uh, today are, I'm going to use the word complex. They're not complex in the sense of, what, you know, what's right or wrong and what the other person is doing, but I think it can be nuanced mm-hmm. in the sense of how do I engage with them in a way that doesn't condone their sin, mm-hmm. but doesn't unnecessarily... Um, you know, provoke some kind of a rift between us where I've been offensive to them in some way. So I I think it's just worth acknowledging. Definitely challenging, you know, challenging individual circumstances and we probably need to pray and ask Mm -hmm. for good wisdom from others. Right. And we've, we've addressed this in a previous podcast, but you know, if you are an employer, you are under certain laws, whether they're just or not. Um, But in general, in everyday life, I think there's ways we can be very careful with people and not, go against our own convictions and not start a fight unnecessarily. Right. I, right. You know, I think of uh, justified lying, okay, um, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, think of Exodus 2 and the Hebrew, excuse me, Exodus and the Hebrew midwives. They let the, the children live, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a command to kill them. But 
they needed to obey God rather than man. But I uh, think that no Christian should lie to further the deception of the deceived and then cement them in their deception. I, I think it is... Um, I think it's wicked and idolatrous and shameful and sad if we do that. If we somehow capitulate to the culture and say, "Well, we're gonna, we're gonna just go along with it because that's loving," and I and I please break it down, Christian. Please think it through. How are you loving a person when you're you're actually going along with their lie that can lead them to destruction? And um, you know, for for me, I'd, I'd be praying, Lord, please take out the blinders, mm-hmm. uh, heal us from our complicit celebration of condoning of outright sin. Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, I don't think we should ever condemn people. We should call people to humble confession and repentance of their sins. But Jesus is Lord. That means something. Um, the Bible is true. It, it's authoritative. It's conscience binding. So if we're going to love truth, if we're loving truth, we're going to give loving truth, and we're going to be truth loving, and we're going to give the truth lovingly. Um, but we're not going to condone sin. And let me give you a third w- word. It's confess, condone, and then celebrate. What do we celebrate? A lot of people are celebrating sin. We don't want to celebrate sin. We want to celebrate freedom from sin. Now, interestingly, this is in the context of how do I help my friend, neighbor, and relative who is living a lifestyle that attacks biblical truth and oftentimes actively and sometimes demonstratively and verbally, okay? Uh, How do you do that while still remaining friends and still having a good witness? Well, celebrate your freedom from sin. Jesus said in John 8, 32, uh, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He says in John 8, 36, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And and we are set free by his truth. Like there is freedom in Christ for the Christian uh, that we no longer have sin reigning in our mortal bodies, uh, that we should uh, obey its lust. We should actively fight the sin that often indwells us, Right. I think I, I, I said it a little bit wrong there. I didn't mean to say we no longer have sin indwelling in our motor bottles, but we, we should no longer let sin reign in our bodies. Right. And we fight that sin. And that's why the Romans 7 battle, you know. But we celebrate freedom from sin. And then at least to a fourth, we condemn no one for their sin, ourselves or anyone else. Romans 8, 1, it says, there is ne- therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Christian, if you're listening to this and you're condemning yourself for all your sins, you need to stop it. You need to stop it, and you need to to tell yourself the truth. I've been set free by Jesus. I've confessed my sins. I'm forgiven. Uh, Jesus is my my Lord. Now, the other thing that happens, though, a lot of times is we look, and it's not just like we're just talking about their sins. Sometimes we have a tendency to condemn people behind their backs for their lifestyle. Well, if I'm going to do that, how do I have a good chance then to go to my neighbor, my friend, my relative, and talk to them and, and love them? without being duplicitous, if I've just been talking behind their back in a derogatory way. And I think Chris, the, the church, Christians in the church need to check that at the door. Drop it in the trash where it belongs. Like, condemn no one for their sin. Like, truly. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, because I feel like there's a lot of condemning that happens behind the scenes, and then we give people a smiley face. Yeah. In, in person. I, I think it's true. Yeah. I think that, you know, I get sad when I hear people, and I, I've used the phrase dunking on people before, but Christians dunking on unbelievers, you know, almost pridefully. Like, yeah. I can't believe that people are so silly, deceived, dumb to, to act the way, to live the way that they are. Mm-hmm. I just shake my head at that and think, you know, what are we? But, but by the grace of God, you know, we would, we would go and do the same thing. So mm-hmm. 
um, what do you have that you didn't receive? You know, those kind of verses right. come to mind, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that it is, it, it, you know, even if that person never knows or catches wind of what you've said behind their back, it's disingenuous to, to just be having a parade about what a fool they're being with their life and almost enjoying, you know, kind of poking fun at them. But then to go and try to have a redemptive impact in their life, that just flies in the face of Mm-mm. passages like Titus 2 that say, speak evil of no one, those kind of ideas. Yeah, it's kind of like how Proverbs says, you know, that the the words were smooth as butter, but, you know, their heart was drawn swords, right? It's like, no, if you're going to go behind their back and say something, you need to confess that first, repent of it, and then think through. And I really do think it's, how do you personally think and then act, okay? The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Uh, It's so clear, the gospel changes us from the inside out. So mm-hmm. what we're talking about here, confessing your own sins, condo- condoning no sin, celebrating freedom from sin, and condemning no one for their sin. What that does, I think it puts the Christian in a posture in a, in a, that they could possibly uh, relate and engage uh, redemptively as they interact with people. So the fifth thing, and the, the last thing I will mention, it's really uh, just a, a combination sentence that I think this is is our this is my motive at least and I this is what I passed on to the people I was talking to this week about these questions that came my way carefully and cautiously connect with people they'd be very careful that's good be cautious you need to connect with people relationally like again don't isolate from the culture don't fully assimilate but interact with people I think of Colossians 4 5 and 6 it says conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders that's the idea of a believer being wise with an unbeliever, making the best use of the time. What time do you have with them? What moments do you have with them? Is it, are you going to disdain them? Are you going to like literally look at them like aghast or sideways and think, I could never? You know, well, sorry, but Ephesians 2 tells us you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were disobedient. You were deceived. You were a child of wrath, even as the rest. But God. But God being rich in mercy, but God, when we were dead in our sins, made us alive. So the regeneration didn't happen because of something special about us. The only reason was because he chose us. And so I just think of this. Um, It says, conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Verse six, let your speech. Now we're into the, uh, the words and the actions, right? So you got the kind of the mind, conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. You're kind of planning out to be wise. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you know that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And I just think, you know, that um, that could give us a lot of traction in our relationships when you're dealing with people that are living lives that are, you know, against um, against biblical truth. You don't have to wave a flag and tell, you know, run in with the sword of the spirit and hack people to pieces like hacking a gag. You know, no, <laughs> you should come with a, a, a triage kit. You should come with a, a not a battering ram, but a, a, a first aid kit. You know, like come as a person who cares about people, loving the truth and loving people lovingly with truth. Um, you know, I think about gracious speech. You know, who I think of I think of uh, Paul. And I think of Paul when he was um, when he was preaching, and he had um, had gone on and was speaking, and then they raised their voices and said, 
this guy should not be allowed to live. Like, just kill this guy. And they're literally going to kill him, and they bring him into the barracks, and they're going to examine him by flogging, which is going to be a, a almost-to-death beating. And they want to find out why the people were shouting against him. And here's what, they stretch him out for the whips. Literally, he's about to do it. Here's what Paul says in Acts 22, 25. He says to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Now, when he heard that, he stops. He says, what are we about to do? This guy's a Roman citizen. And he goes on, and there's a bunch of things there, but Paul could have been yelling obscenities at the guy. Mm-hmm. Paul could have been saying, how dare you do this? Don't you know who I am? You know, all this stuff. He would, he would have gotten beaten to a bloody pulp. <laughs> but he, he used gracious speech. And he said the wisest thing in the moment. And I think, you know, we're in, it might not feel like you're in such desperate times, but there are people's souls at stake. And every time we are before a person, we don't know if that's the last time we'll ever see them. Hmm. So I think this careful and cautious connection with people is going to be crucial for us if we're going to, if we're going to preach the cross, if we're going to live that and live that before people in a way that is um, winsome. Yeah. Amen. I think I just have maybe maybe just two thoughts before I pass it back to you and we can even bring this thing for landing. But my first thought in response to what you're saying about connecting is I, I just, I, I feel convicted about this myself, but it is really challenging and time consuming to invest deeply in people's lives. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. And especially time consuming, like it just takes time. There's only so many days in the week. There's only so many days in the month and the amount of relational investment capacity that, that you have personally, that your family has is limited. And so um, one thing I, I, I at a pastor's gather yes, a pastor's gathering yesterday, a pastor was sharing about how some people in his church, um, they're the kind of person who's serving five, six days a week. They're always at church. And he said that he's challenging those people and just said, hey, I don't know that you're leaving any time in your life to have an engagement in mm. the different areas of life that God's called you to live as a Christian. Um, that's just one example. You know, not that everybody's in that exact same situation, but um, to really, you know, have this kind of investment it does take time. And I think maybe an encouragement too is, you know, the Lord has only given us the ability to interact with the people that he brings into our life that he puts in front of us. So maybe there's one neighbor, mm-hmm. two neighbors, one family member, mm-hmm. one friend or a coworker, you know, that God has really yeah. given you opportunity to be involved in their life deeply, to invest in their life. I think that would be really, a me- that's a meaningful relationship to say, Lord, this is someone that you've given me who I know I have a foothold with. Mm-hmm. And I want to invest the time to really love them and connect with them. Um, so that was long, but that was one thought. Second thought is just back to your idea of celebrating what's good. Um, I think one of the, the best ways that we can, you know, witness for Christ is to live lives that are a shining example of how wonderful the gospel is. That's basically what you were saying. But, mm-hmm. you know, not flashy, but just a, a life where your household is more or less at peace, even mm-hmm. in the middle of all the craziness. Uh, there's a steadiness about your life. There's a contentedness. It's not flashy. It's not loud. But mm-hmm. I think that people actually do recognize and see and, and notice that, that, that oh, that family, you know, who are Christians, it does seem like things are different with them. And that gives us a foothold to be able to speak as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mike, that was, that was what I had in response to what you were sharing. But anything else from you before we close this one? Probably one last thing. And I want to kind of review what we said, but then give one last thought. So confess your own sins, condone no sin, celebrate freedom from sin, condemn no one for their sin, and then carefully and cautiously connect with people. I think that will be crucial as we 
want to speak the message of the cross. And this is all about taking the high road when the culture war comes to your doorstep with people you know, you care about, friends, neighbors, classmates, teammates, relatives, things like that. And the last thought I would give is this. Most people, most of us are going to impact a handful of people. All right. And we just celebrated Mother's Day last week. And, you know, I remember Jim Elliott writing in his journal. uh, He was writing about flowers and he was writing a note to his mom even too. And he's wrote flowers are a fast fading sentiment uh, to uh, to celebrate those uh, for one day for whom Children's Day comes 365 days a year. And the idea that for a mom, Children's Day is 365 days a year, and one day we pause and just say, thank you, mom, right? But that the Christian mom has so much power to affect the world through one or two or three or 12 kids that they raise. And it's undervalued in our culture. It's underestimated, even in the church, the impact of a godly mom upon, again, one child and what that does for that child. And, and so many people that have, that have gone on to, you know, as we would say, great things for the gospel would, would look back and say, it was the influence of my godly mother. It was her prayers. It was her encouragements uh, that made the difference in my life. And I think, you think about it, most of us will impact a handful of people. And let's just say right now, you think about who is in your life that you could have any kind of impact. It's going to be your household, your family, your friends, you know, again, work, uh, co-workers and classmates and teammates and what have you. But it's going to be that segment of people. And sometimes we're out looking for some fame somewhere when the people right in front of us are the people we need to impact. Mm. And I would just say, Christian, Think deeply about who you're around and what you might say or do in their life that would be a blessing uh, that God could use in ways that it would just blow you away sometimes. I think, yeah. that's, I think that's a great place to end. Um, thanks for that. And listeners, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate you. I uh, hope you have a great week. And until then, uh, God bless. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>